Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the February 26, 2019 edition of Ask a Leader. Today, we hear from two more candidates in the lead up to the March 12th special election to fill the seat for the Orange County Board of Supervisors, 3rd District. Former Villa Park Council member Deborah Pauley and former Anaheim City Council member Chris Murray will be our guests today. Voter information guides and absentee ballots are already out. I'm sure those in the 3rd District have seen them if you've already registered to, to vote and to do the vote by mail thing. Pay attention, folks, to the local, the location of your polling place. It may not be the one you go to for general and primary elections. Pop-up voting service centers open from, for one day in, in four different locations, March 8, 9, 10, and at our City Hall, March 11th, from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. For the latest info, always go to the website of the Orange County Registrar of Voters, at Neil Kelly and his department, www.ocvote.com. We'll be right back after a station break with Deborah Pollard. Welcome back to the show. My guest in this segment is former Villa Park Council member Deborah Polly, now a resident of the city of Orange and currently an elected member of the Republican Orange County 68th Assembly District. She is yet another of the candidates I'm interviewing who are running in the March 12th special election for the open seat in the Orange County Board of Supervisors 3rd District, a nonpartisan race. And the question I pose her are those which I'll be asking all of the candidates. Deborah Polly served active duty in the United States Air Force as a public affairs specialist and went on to earn her bachelor's in communications and political science at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. Deborah Polly completed executive training with the Republican National Committee, was awarded by the California Legislative Caucus, Women's Caucus. She is the founder of VETS ROC, that's Veterans Republicans of Orange County. She has, she has served on the National Council of the John Birch Society since June of 2013 and is on the board of directors for the Law Enforcement Charitable Foundation that supports families of police officers killed in the line of duty. She's also co-founder of the Counter Jihad Coalition of Southern California. She's pursuing a law degree at Trinity Law School. She comes to us today from Orange. That is right, Claudia. I'm sitting here in my office. So I, I've been asking all the candidates that Irvine, the city of, has dominated the third district concerns and focus, according to many. Some say the third district has been beholden to Irvine for the last many mm. years. How, Deborah Polly, do you see yourself representing Orange and other cities and unincorporated areas of the 3rd District with greater balance? That's really interesting. I think if people were to look at my candidate statement, um, and mine is very different from any of the other candidates that kind of gave a kind of a broad brush overview, mine is area by area. You bring up an excellent point. The 3rd District is very different from one point, uh, your Belinda all the way north, all the way through Anaheim Hills, which is still part of Anaheim, but people call it Anaheim Hills, 
Orange, Villa Park, which is a tiny city there that I'm very familiar with, the unincorporated areas, those areas out in the canyon near the National Forest, Tustin proper, and then Irvine, yes, it's huge. Uh, and the Great Park has been a political football for a very long time. But if you look at my candidate statement, you will see that I go through area by area uh, discussing, you know, what I see as key areas where I would, my to-do list, if you will, when I, when I ran for Villa Park City Council, as I was talking with people, uh, walking the city, I walked every single street, um, I, I really developed what I call my to-do list. And it was literally a list that I kept and went through those things, you know, methodically, one thing at a time to get the work done that I heard that the people needed. So I have Anaheim has some serious issues, I believe, with uh, traffic congestion and bottlenecks in certain areas, Anaheim Hills right when you get off at that freeway on Imperial and 91. Obviously, they were heavily impacted by the Kenyon 2 fire in October 2017, and we need to work on ensuring that there are improved resources. When I look at Orange, or even Orange itself is not all the same. You have, you know, Orange Park Acres, you have Barrios, you have Old Town, uh, you know, it's a historic district. You have Chapman University, which is, you know, a, a big area right there. So there's a great deal of diversity there. Uh, but working with those city officials to ensure that that charm, it's a very charming city, um, is preserved and protected. And that brings us right on into this entire North Tustin and uh, Tribuco, Foothills Canyon area. I have you know, worked with these citizens before, uh, they have had to fight their own government to protect their uh, specific plans and preserve the communities that they moved into from uh, high-density uh, uh, housing development, from developers that will come in and perhaps buy up elected officials uh, that will then change those uh, general plans or specific plans and start developing things that are completely outside of the reliance of, of the the community in which they purchased homes uh, and expected to, you know, live. You know, when people want to change things, that's great if it's the people, but if it's outside interests that come in and start trying to change things, that's a problem. Uh, when I look at your Belinda, it's, it's very different as well. You know, it has, um, it was uh, also heavily impacted by a fire, the 2008 freeway complex fire. Mm -hmm. And uh, any, you know, there are pockets of county zoned properties. Property, and that's really, you know, my biggest concern is the third district holds the largest uh, area of undeveloped county zoned property in all of Orange County. It's, it's the largest landmass size. So there's a lot of interest in trying to come into Orange County, uh, into the third district, and develop it in a way that really doesn't meet with the um, desires of the existing community. Uh, Villa Park and Yorba Linda are both uh, sheriff's department uh, contract cities. And I remember sitting there on the Villa Park Council, and all of a sudden the sheriff's contract would just be land, would land on, on our, you know, on our dais, and we're supposed to approve it. And it would be wait a minute, where was our opportunity to provide input to that? It should be provided by every contract city to the county before they make some deal that flips our ability to put men on the street, 
versus uh, funding a pension obligation that will go on in perpetuity and make it difficult. I mean, it heavily, heavily impacted uh, almost any city that is involved with, with uh, any of the contracts, uh, whether it's Orange County Fire Authority or the Sheriff's Department, huge impact on the budget. And then Irvine Lake, uh, which is, you know, also within the 3rd District. Uh, I was on the council when there was a, a, a um, I was the liaison to our water agency, which is a separate entity entirely. Uh, and I went to every single meeting, and I've gone on all the regional water tours because water is very precious here, and we need water. Uh, and how that water as a resource is managed is critical, even with firefighting. I don't want to get off on track here because I watched agencies, different water agencies and the county, start fighting over this resource as the Irvine Ranch Water District had turned over its, its portion of the recreational facility at that lake, and the entire lake operation has been shut down. For 90 years, people used that, went out there boating, fishing, you know, taking their kids out there. They'd have fishing tournaments. And I, I've talked to a lot of the folks that are, have been around here for a long time. I mean, they grew up taking their kids out there, and there are grandpas who used to take their grandsons out there. That's a very precious time. That's a precious uh, resource that's been shut down from, from the people being able to take advantage of it and enjoy it. And so I think it's definitely, it's definitely on my to-do list to, to bring those parties together, yes. reopen the lines of communication. I know you asked me a question, but this is a big question. It's, it was a sweeping question. I want to break it down in a little bit because I want to make it uh, comparable to how I've set up the questions with the other candidates for the basis of comparison for my listeners, is you were talking about those uh, uh, get, addressing the unincorporated services that are enclosed and circled by the incorporated areas. And so certainly the public security, the sheriff's office is one of those. So how are you going to, as a board of supervisor, deal with those inefficiencies? You're talking about like the encumbrances on local government budgets, but how about the efficiencies from the, the county government standpoint? Do you have a specific – the county government's big. I mean, Right, right, but are, how do you deal with those inefficiencies that you brought up? Uh, with the fire authority specifically? With what – yes, with delivering services in unincorporated areas surrounded by areas that are covered by the municipalities' public services. Right. Well, you know, we don't – none of this operates in a vacuum, so even those – incorporated areas have to work with the unincorporated areas and we all have to work together and there are mutual aid agreements one of the well one of the things that I've always done is make myself very available to uh, the local residents um, you know when you look at my uh, candidate statement I'm the only one who provided my personal cell phone number and my personal email in that statement, not just for the wealthy donors, but for everyone, because I don't really know what's happening or where the inefficiencies exist until I talk with the people on the ground. You know, where the rubber meets the road is where you really find out what's happening. And so, or what, for instance, um, I was contacted by a group of gentlemen. I had a sit-down conversation with them, and they made me aware of the fact that the uh, County Planning Department had put together a plan that was well down the road to make a um, mixed-use overlay, zoning overlay, over the entire county, which, of course, would only 
in effect incorporated areas if they decided to uh, you know absorb that as part of their plan within their city but those unincorporated areas would automatically become mixed use dual zoning and that was going to be placed on the agenda in February this month when the third district which was going to be the most heavily impacted was not didn't even have a seat at the table I wouldn't have known about that if they hadn't made me aware and I have a huge problem with anything that is not uh, well noticed to the public. Uh, when when things are happening kind of in – that's my biggest issue right there. My background is communications, as you noted. Right. Uh, communication is a two-way street, uh, which means that uh, in order to hear what the people are thinking about any given proposal, you have to let them know it's happening with adequate opportunity for them to provide you with their feedback. And having a meeting in the county planning department's offices at 9 in the morning when people are at work is not the same as saying, we've got a proposal, we need to go out in those communities that are going to be impacted by it, present it at a convenient location to them, take it to them. Uh, It's just not that much work to do. Set up the PowerPoint slide, set up a microphone, present what's going to happen, and find out how it's going to affect people on the ground and what they think about it. Uh, things shouldn't be happening to citizens. It should be a, you know, we only govern with the consent of the governed, and they're not even having an opportunity to consent because we never tell them what the, what's happening uh, to have an opportunity to either get on board and help make it through or stop a bad idea that's going to impact them. Uh, you know, we have very myopic um, views sometimes, I think. So I just uh, want to let our listeners know, if you just tuned in, my guest is former Villa Park City Council member Deborah Polly, now a candidate in the March 12th special election for the open seat, the Orange County Board of Supervisors, 3rd District. Early voting is going to be, as Irvine is concerned, where the radio station is located, it's going to be Monday, March 11th from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. at the Irvine City Hall. And there will be other early voting opportunities on March 8th, 9th, and 10th, ocvote.com forward slash early, and you'll get that information. And so I'd like to sort of deal with... Some of those mixed-use overlays you're talking about and some of the sort of regional concerns of the county, use that to pivot to what is your role on the board to see that all of the jurisdictions carry their fair share of emergency housing? Emergency housing. Well, I think you're talking about the homeless situation, yes. Yes. Um, And it is an emergency. It's a crisis. It became a crisis, but did not need to become a crisis. You know, problems emerge. You can see problems emerging. Um, And instead of waiting until it's a crisis, just before we even get into how we handle the problem now, I think the one thing that needs to happen and should happen is that when elected officials or government agencies or see something emerging, they deal with it before it's so big that you have a difficult time dealing with it. And that, I think, was a, a tragic mistake. I was off the council at the time, but we have a couple of the members, that are, people who are running, that were on their councils, uh, and they did nothing uh, until we had a crisis proportion and judges coming in um, with, with court orders telling people what to do. And that's another issue. Now, I want to talk about this, because yes. what I am seeing happening, first of all, 
Uh, a joint powers authority was just established. Two of the candidates voted for it, and it is to deal with the homeless situation. Uh, they did that through their positions on the Orange County Association of, of uh, 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 Councils of Cities. Um, and what happened when that happens? You have created a new government agency. It may start out with a good purpose in mind, but it usually ends up going pretty far sideways. Uh, once you have set up in a, a JPA for the express purpose of dealing with the homeless crisis, you have now hardened that crisis as a permanent fixture in Orange County, this burden. I am actually not for hardened permanent uh, homeless shelters. I, I'm opposed to it, actually. I, I think that the best way to deal with this is, you know, I was in the military. Tent cities can be very, very efficient, very uh, comfortable with every amenity you can imagine, air conditioning, heating, water, food, you name it. The services are provided there. Uh, get them to this temporary situation where we get uh, the communicable diseases issue off the streets triage the homeless population in a fixed in these fixed locations that are not permanent it's a lot easier to get people to buy into something that they realize is only temporary to deal with these individuals uh, because each of those that are having these problems have they're very different you know the first thing to be would be obviously taking care of women and children uh, that are displaced for whatever reason and sometimes it's getting it's getting away from a dangerous situation, but, but that would be the first thing that you do. But you go in through and you triage those that have mental health issues, those who have drug addiction issues, maybe those who are legal immigrants that shouldn't be here in the first place, uh, but getting them to the social services agency that can best suit their needs and, and help them if they want help and if they will accept help. And that is another part of the problem that we're seeing. Everybody wants to talk about veterans. It's actually a very low percentage of veterans who are a part of that homeless population. I, I looked into it personally mm -hmm. because that, I think that if there's a group of people we should take care of first, it should be those individuals who sacrifice for their country. And some of them do uh, leave service with some, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress. Uh, I don't call it a disorder when you've been – it's a very natural, I think, reaction to um, – to trauma yeah. and combat. Yes, to, yes, I think it is. And so uh, so I wanted to ensure that that was a, a population that was – and I was like, wow, this is a very small percentage. It, it somewhat surprised me because you hear this as a talking point all the time. Uh, and I also like the idea of these um, uh, public-private partnerships in Tustin, uh, and I've done some work out there, and I'm uh, very um, supportive and impressed and have a good deal of confidence in the Orange County rescue mission and Jim Palmer and the work that he has done. This is an established organization, and I understand that there's a partnership that's already been formed with the county, and they are putting in a, hard, a hardened shelter there that will be separate from the you know, uh, faith-based organization that he runs, and yet will provide the same kind of services run in a good fashion. And so um, I will fully support that as a hardened, a hardened shelter because I, I, I see that as a public-private partnership. I see private entities doing a better job of running certain things than government entities. Uh, and once the, once the uh, emergency has passed, the crisis has passed, and, we, and it will pass. Things are cyclical. 
we won't have a JPA hanging over our heads that now is in place and trying to figure out how it can keep itself alive by sucking tax dollars, you know, which I don't like. Uh, but we do still have something, you know. Uh, uh, so that's that's what I appreciate. I've also had a meeting with a gentleman who runs a public-private partnership with um, development of uh, low-income housing. Uh, it's with a charitable organization, and I really liked what he laid out for me. And, and what was that model? In, in, pardon me? Can you tell us the name of that or the model? Um, well, the R, R, it's RCC Charitable is what it is, but the model, the funding stream comes from HUD. Uh, and what they do is they have private developers, private investors that build these uh, um, low-income housing, uh, but they, are, they tend to be people who actually live within the community or nearby the community so that they have some skin in the game, you know, as opposed to these outside interests that really don't care about our community. They just want to get rich off of it. The funding stream comes from HUD that goes through qualified individuals who are uh, qualify for the assistance uh, and are deserving of the assistance, and they move in, but the social services are housed on site to prov- get them. You know, our j- job, my job, and what I want the most is to see everybody succeed, everybody do well. It lifts us all up. And so instead of just allowing people to constantly waller in this, not even mediocrity, mock mediocrity, but even just um, a state of hopelessness is not what I would like to see for us. I want to see us working together to bring everyone up to the standard of living that is America. That's why people want to come here. We have something very special about this country. It's worth preserving. So I'd like to then move into the area of the climate change, where the national level leadership it's uh, it's changing somewhat but it's now it's really up to local governments to step up and mitigate against climate change what do you see is your role on the county board of supervisors taking up there are a lot of citizens groups uh, constituents that are talking about climate action the work on community choice energy the climate action campaign what do you see as stepping up uh, the whole orange county unincorporated areas and general leadership to 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 seize on that emergency well first of all i don't see it as the same emergency that some would like to see it as. Uh, You know, it's not settled science. It hasn't been settled science. Um, You know, we we were told that there are a lot of things we've been told over the past, what, 10 or 15 years about what's happening with global warming. It was global warming. I got to tell you, I'm freezing right now. (laughs) It's like, I don't know what, it's been getting down into the 40s. That's pretty cold for Southern California. And then they've changed it into now, I guess it's climate change. Well, of course, the climate changes. It's called weather. And that is also cyclical uh, in in a broader sense. Not just cyclical through the seasons, but cyclical through you have seasons where you have a lot of rain. Like now, you have seasons where you have no rain, like drought that we experienced five, six years ago that were pretty scary. You know, the what you have to do is it's it's nature, uh, and so we have to work with nature instead of against nature and prepare. You know, those years where we're having a lot of rain, like now, if we had been intelligently managing 
the resource of water and providing for water storage and for providing for percolation. Um, and that's another reason why we should have problems with uh, reckless development because you cannot percolate water into our very precious underground water storage aquifer. There it is. God God made uh, storage for our water. Uh, but you lay concrete over it, and therefore none of it percolates down naturally to provide that for us. We work against nature when we do things like that. Uh, it is you're you're talking i'm sure about you know um not spewing smoke into the air i'm surely uh, you know i'm surely all about that preserving you know our precious natural resources but i think overreacting to some of this uh has been has been driven by those who would like to use it as a way of controlling a population to get them to do what they want them to do for instance get out of their cars uh, they don't want people driving. Um, they want people on mass transit. Uh, supposedly that's going to help with the climate change problem. Uh, here's the thing. People aren't going to get out of their cars uh, and working to, for the electric vehicles. That was supposed to be a great savior for us. You know, we're not going to be throwing smoke into the air. We're going to have these, you know, vehicles that are going to run on electricity and not so much gas, and that was going to be good for the environment. And what ended up happening as they pushed that through is the revenue, gas tax revenue, to the state dropped instantly, and then they found themselves in an emergency and impacted, uh, impacting their ability to waste money. And I do consider it a waste of money when they're doing things that government should not be doing. Uh, so then they increased the gas tax for everyone. Getting to work, getting to school, taking your children to school, uh, going to the grocery store, these are not, you know, uh, things that are uh, luxuries. These are necessities of life, and when you increase gas tax on everyone, it, it hurts the least among us, those who are least capable of affording it, and makes it difficult for them to live and function and in, in, in Orange County. And you see a lot of people leaving because they can't afford to live here. So there's a problem with not looking at the unintended consequences of trying to fix one thing short term without looking at, okay, now what could possibly happen as a result of us doing this so or pushing I, this? As our time is drawing down, I'm sorry to... Um I just would like to uh, conclude with our last question here. What political action committees are supporting and will be supporting your campaign, Deborah Pauly? I do not have any political action committees or any special interest groups on either end of the political spectrum. In fact, that is why I am running. I see extremes at either side. I see when this is happening um, that it actually hurts uh, the people. I have people supporting me, and that's really what I, who I intend to represent. I don't intend to represent political action committees. I don't intend to represent just unions or just uh, uh, corporations that would like, you know, special handouts. These extremes at either end of the political ex uh, spectrum do not do not push forward decisions that are are furthering the greater good of the people. So what I'm looking for are citizens to support me, voters to support me of all ages, 
uh, of all um, to all backgrounds, quite frankly, because it's, it's all of us coming together, really working together that's going to move us forward or move us in a direction where we're living well, we're living good, we're living uh, healthy lives. We're living lives where we can look at one another with love and concern, and that's really what I'm. That's really more about what I'm about, and that is all. It's really about including the citizens in these decision-making processes, including these decisions, uh, including the citizens in uh, the not just the process, but also um, giving them giving them uh, a voice and making them stakeholders. Whether they're a pack or yes. well-moneyed or what have yes. you, every person that lives here or wants to live here and contribute is a stakeholder in my mind. Well, that unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Thank you for taking the time to sit down with us today. Claudia, I really have enjoyed this so Thank much. Thank you. My guest <laughs> was Deborah Polly, former Villa Park City Council member, now a candidate in the March 12th special election for the open seat in the Orange County Board of Supervisors. Early voting will begin on March 8th, and there will be opportunities throughout the county to vote early and or vote on the 12th itself, or ocvote.com forward slash early gets you all the details. We'll be right back with another supervisorial candidate, Chris Murray. Don't go away. Je parie que c'est des Santiago, viens faire un tour dans le terrain vague. Je vais t'apprendre un jeu rigolo, à grands coups de chaîne de vélo. Je te fais tes bottes à la baston, moi j'y ai dit. Les bétons, in case you were wondering, I think that's a French for the uh, hit the pavement. So that's what candidates do when they're out there campaigning. Thank you for staying with us. My next guest is Chris Murray, former city council member of Anaheim and currently the CEO of KLM Strategies, and she was, as an Anaheim uh, Hills resident, she's one of seven candidates running for the seat open in the Orange County Board of Supervisors, 3rd District, in next month's special election. She was elected to two terms, ending last year, on Anaheim City Council in that capacity. She represented her city on regional boards of the Association of California Cities, Metropolitan Water District, Southern California, Southern California Water Committee, Southern California Association of Governments, and is board chairperson of Orange County Council of Governments. She is co-chair of the Anaheim Chamber of Economic Consortium and chairs the annual Anaheim Orange County Jobs Fair. Prior to serving on the council, she was a senior vice president at Kildan, an engineering firm, and prior to that was the executive director for about a year and a half with Orange County Transit Authority. She served as a community board member of Seneca OC and has supported the Boys and Girls Clubs of Anaheim. Anaheim YMCA, Cops for Kids, Orange County Family Justice Center, Anaheim Beautiful, and was also was recently appointed to the California Women's Leadership Association Board of Directors. She earned her Bachelor's of Arts in Political Science at Cal State University Long Beach and a Master's Certificate in Transportation Management from the Mineta Transportation Institute at San Jose State University. She comes to us today from Anaheim Hills. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Chris Murray. Well, thank you, Claudia. Great to join you again today. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing fine because I'm I'm really glad we're going to have a chance to hear most candidates. There, there's one candidate, folks, that does not have a campaign 
website. So that makes me think he's less uh, serious. And just one other candidate has declined to be interviewed. Otherwise, we're doing due diligence to cover everybody. Well, let me start with the question I'm asking everybody, Chris Murray, is Irvine's dominated the third district concerns and focus, according to many. Some say the third district was beholden to Irvine for the many last years. Your base is mainly Anaheim, and that's where lots of your endorsements are and that kind of thing. So, but how do you see yourself representing the cities and unincorporated areas of the 3rd District with greater balance? Well, that's a great question. Uh, first and foremost, the 3rd District is about representing everyone who lives there, and that has been my focus throughout this campaign. I have met with residents uh, consistently uh, from every single community in the 3rd District uh, since the beginning of my campaign, and I was the first to file for this office and have been running since late November, so I have been out there meeting with folks for months. Um, the, um, the 3rd District has a, a diverse community, and we in we as a, as a county need to really focus our resources and helping our communities and getting those resources at the neighborhood level, and that will be the focus of my campaign. And my tenure as supervisor is making sure that every community in the 3rd District has a voice uh, in their county government. So as far as we've got the Veterans Cemetery, I've, I've almost gotten to ask most of the candidates, should it come to the city and entities that benefit from it uh, being removed to free up their land for other uses? So I'd like to know, let's say, the funding for the cemetery, where uh, do you, s I'm trying to pull all the, there's so many issues uh, in the cemetery location and the funding. What is your role as a board of supervisor to reconcile the enabling legislation, the funding, and meet the needs of the veterans who want a place for burial? Well, first and foremost, Orange County needs a veteran cemetery solely dedicated to veterans, a national cemetery that honors those in our community who have served our country and protected our freedom and liberty uh, throughout their lives, and we absolutely need one. Uh, I have to visit my grandparents uh, out in Riverside. They're both buried at the National Cemetery there. Uh, we haven't had one here at home. Our veterans groups have worked for decades to try to get uh, one here at home. There were two locations looked at in Irvine. Um, that seems to be a little bit in limbo right now. I worked with the former supervisor, Todd Spitzer, and, and the county to have, consider an alternative location in Anaheim. Our community is fully in support of that. Uh, but ultimately, I want to make sure that whatever um, location is selected, uh, that it is uh, one that the veterans embrace and that the surrounding communities support. So there's still some work to be done to get to that point. But no matter what, I will be dedicated to making sure we have a national cemetery that is solely dedicated to veterans uh, in this county, and that will be a major priority during my tenure. So as far as the uh, transit picture goes, that in the unincorporated areas, that's where the, the jurisdiction, of course, is for the Board of Supervisors. So mm -hmm. what should land near trans train stations be used for um for it should be trans transit oriented development what's your position i mean this is like your like a linchpin for your career in public service i guess i'm confused about the yes, question so are you asking uh, so, about transit oriented development right. in general or tra trans the <clears throat> transit 
properties that are in the unincorporated areas, what is your vision for the best use of those properties? Well, our unincorporated communities um, are, are very rural. There's a lot of open spaces, a, wa- a lot of wildland management, um, and there are, in some places, really limited ingress and egress. So where we can provide additional transit opportunities to reduce congestion, I would be supportive as long as they were also embraced by those direct communities. I do not believe that the county should ever be forcing on local communities, particularly in the unincorporated area, uh, services or programs that are not embraced by the local community. We do have areas uh, in our more urban parts of the county where that are ideal for transit-oriented development, which is a mix of retail, commercial, entertainment, and the walkability of, of um, uh, residential that has access directly to transit, like around the Arctic and the, our, our county's um, regional transportation center and the Platinum Triangle, where we've got a lot of um, development and housing happening today. Millennials, in particular, uh, prefer an active transportation uh, and walkability uh, lifestyle for residential, and so it really meets their needs. In our rural communities, uh, they don't want to be subdivided. They want their uh, general plans and zoning protected, their historic integrity of their communities protected, and I will be a champion for those organizations, for those um, organizations that work to protect those, those uh, homeowner associations, uh, folks like the Foothill Community Association uh, and the Orange Park Acres Association have already been working with those individuals, and I will continue to be their champion and fiercely protect their communities as their supervisor. If you just joined us, listeners, my guest is Ms. Chris Murray, former Anaheim City Council member, now a candidate in the March 12 special election for the open seat in the Orange County Board of Supervisors, 3rd District. Early voting for one place is going to be here in Irvine, the City Hall, on March 11th, as well as there are other opportunities to vote early on March 8th, 9th, and 10th. So we are going to pivot away from some of the sort of the transit sort of general question into actually a broader domain in the absence of leadership on the national level, although it's changed a bit in the last couple of months. What, Chris Murray, is the local government's role in mitigating against climate change or climate damage, as some are want to say? Well, as you know, Claudia, because I've, I've, we actually met at yes. um, a number of clean energy programs initially. Uh, I am um, a huge advocate and have worked both professionally and through my role as a councilwoman in advancing clean energy programs uh, and really championing uh, getting the Orange County Council of Governments uh, to be uh, OCOG, which is our, our local sub-regional planning agency, uh, to get us as a community of 34 cities in the county really engaged in advancing clean energy and local control over the generation and renewable sources of clean energy so that we can not only have the opportunity to reduce rates on those who live in our communities, but improve the environment and improve service levels and make sure that we're doing our part here at home. Well, there's also... Um, 
in a lot we can be doing and have done and should continue to do on conservation as it pertains to water, even though we have, you know, extraordinary and unprecedented rains over this last, oh, well, we're still experiencing them. Uh, we live in an area that has historically uh, suffered from drought conditions, uh, and we have to make sure we're ensuring our local supply of water is protected as well. Uh, Anaheim actually exceeded, not just met, but exceeded uh, during my tenure uh, the conservation goals set by the state. But clean energy is an absolute, it's, it's got one of those multifaceted benefits for our communities, and it also has an opportunity to generate, uh, as we create a local generation, to create local jobs in the middle-income sectors. Uh, that's very important as well. There is the citizens, I'm always stumbling on all these climate action, uh, different entities, the, the choice. Community Choice, choice Aggregation, or CCA. Or CCE. It's also called Community, community Choice, choice Energy. Uh, Energy. Is that what you're going for? Right. And then yep. I just got the word in, just breaking news, folks, but it was yesterday San Diego voted 7-2 to two in favor of negotiating terms for a joint powers agreement for their CCE with other cities around the, the whole region there. So is there a, a an agenda that you take to the County Board of Supervisors to provide leverage to, to hear some of those plans being implemented and adopted, adopted and implemented here in Orange County? I'm actually a founding member of the Sustain. Uh, it's now, it was Sustain OC. It's now Sustain Southern California um, right, it's gotten CCA Working Group. Right. Uh, and it's all hosted at the UCI School of Applied Sciences, so I'm over there quite a bit. Uh, Yes, I, we are in the process as a county of conducting a um, feasibility study. Uh, so Orange County is, is going to study that and work with every city uh, to uh, really make sure first folks know the value of having that community choice energy program, which for everyone who's listening sounds uh, very wordy and complicated, but truly it's just about uh, creating local renewable sources of energy at home and having control over that uh, as communities uh, to ensure ensure not only your sources of energy being from clean and renewable sources, but giving residents the reduction in rates that comes from local generation. And uh, Orange County is uh, at the table, and I was instrumental in working with Sustain uh, Southern California uh, and a number of cities. We have about 10 to 12 cities who have already taken those steps uh, and are interested in pursuing it uh, for the multifaceted benefits it provides at home. Most importantly, resiliency, uh, making sure that our, our power sources are, one, clean, but two, uh, that even in times of disaster or, uh, you know, we see these brownouts over and over and over again, it will ensure that there is always a source of energy here at home to keep the lights on, uh, to make sure our schools are powered, our hospitals, and all of our community are safe and protected. Well, I noticed I, I sat in on the Green Ribbon Committee in Irvine yesterday for the the Community Choice Energy Agenda, and that there was a rollout from Southern California Edison about a the capturing the methane and uh, from biogases, including the dairy sector. So mm -hmm. that what I learned from that, Chris Murray, was there is a huge literacy issue. And that's why I, I sort of have a, a privilege of talking with you about in your position as a leader in the on the County Board of Supervisors is 
that the literacy issue is a with candidates that are running against you how much do they perceive this whole bringing the greenhouse gas emissions reducing them and understanding whether the renewables adopting certain renewable plans whether that is a net reduction of greenhouse gas emissions so i guess my question to you is how do you see your role as providing more literacy locally to getting attaining these greenhouse gas emission goals of reducing? Well, when it's, uh, it is about, it's frontline, it's just common sense communication, you know, just really working with people to understand that these programs uh, help uh, rather than have adverse impacts. Uh, and we need to, everyone needs to be doing our part uh, to make sure that our environment is sustainable for future generations. Uh, and we live in an area, even though Orange County <clears throat> is um, fared better than than most in the region uh, as it pertains to environmental impacts from the ports and the and the air quality issues that really end up pocketing over the Inland Empire, we are still uh, under a plume of particulate matter and exhaust that comes from being adjacent to one of the largest port complexes in the world. And uh, as a result, uh, you know, we do have pockets of asthma and other conditions that need to be addressed. And whatever we can do as a community to make sure our public health, first and foremost, is protected, and particularly our children and our elderly. Uh, and everyone wins when the environment is cleaner and when it's protected and when it's sustainable. And it really is first and foremost about resiliency. So you authored the Safe at Home Initiative, addressing slum Operation conditions. Home Safe, correct. Yes, thank you. And mm -hmm. so I would like to know what your role would be on the County Board of Supervisors to deal with the emergency and the housing issue as well as a steady supply of public housing around in the whole regional and the municipal share within the region. Well, Operation Home Safe for Everyone, who isn't aware, was uh, a program to address the crisis, the immediate crisis of miles and miles of homeless encampments that were um, uh, uh, escalating uh, both within our cities uh, in North Orange County, but also through um, the riverbed. And, and most people uh, experienced and saw that miles of, of encampments and people who were living in very unsustainable and very unsafe uh, encampments along the riverbed and in many of our communities through our parks and public spaces. So we called uh, my program, and it was approved unanimously by the council, called first and foremost for a state of emergency to get federal and state and other regional assistance uh, financially and otherwise to, to address that. But what SAFE stood for was services and aid. It was first and foremost about getting in there, providing case management, uh, and making sure that services were offered and provided and assistance to uh, to those who were living in these conditions. And then it was, uh, SAFE also stands for fair warning. We're not going to allow this to continue because it's unsafe for those living in these encampments and it's unsafe for the communities adjacent to them. So fair warning that this is no longer going to be permitted. We are going to get you services, but there is going to be an end date to your living in these encampments. And then enforcement, which uh, ultimately happened and we cleared the riverbed, sheltered over 1,000 people within about 120 days, and then the county was able to go in, remediate the land, and restore the riverbed uh, to public use. The longer-term solutions that are needed, though, are in regard to uh, permanent supportive housing, and that is going to be a countywide effort. 
I've been engaged in that throughout my tenure of the past eight years, working with the county and cities throughout Orange County. But most importantly, it's, 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 it is important that it be done in a way that is tailored to each community. We cannot have one-size-fits-all uh, programs, shelters, services, uh, as it pertains to the homeless community, because everyone who's homeless, in most instances, it's for a very unique and individualized re- re- uh, reason. So one-size-fits-all policies just don't work. Uh, and we cannot be uh, putting in shelters next to schools, next to homes, because they're just not compatible uses. But permanent supportive housing uh, that really makes sure that we have the level of workforce housing across the county in a way that is complementary to the communities uh, countywide is the answer, and uh, I believe we have a good pathway for the county. County's definitely stepping up uh, to put some services in place that are making a difference, and I will work very closely in collaboration with all of the members of the Board of Supervisors and the incredibly dedicated county staff to make sure we're successful and as a voice of the residents in the 3rd District. Well, there's a kind of interplay between the emergency housing and some part of uh, Prop 47, we're talking, like the, the red thread here is that uh, services are available to the those using the emergency housing, services are available to people that are transitioning out of serving, being incarcerated. So I, I'm, I know this is it's a broad it's a broad pivot here, but I I want to have you take up Prop 47, that there is a template moving about, sponsored by law enforcement representatives to uh, qualify initiative on the statewide ballot in 2020 that is and there's a discussion on campus about whether there is that the template that's resolving to support the reducing crime and keeping california safe act of 2020 um, mm-hmm. whether um, what is your position on how prop 47 is going to be administered from this day forward well, I, I would encourage uh, those who haven't looked at these measures, and, and it, there's actually three measures um, that are, are looking to be somewhat amended. And first it was Assembly Bill 109, and then Propositions 47 and 57, uh, which came out of that and were put on the ballot and approved by voters. Uh, 40, uh, one allowed for early parole, and we had prison overcrowding, and that measure was meant to really provide relief to prisons. But what happened is we saw a transfer of those who were paroled into local communities with limited oversight, and therefore we did have upticks in property crime um, and other uh, impacts to communities, including uh, from a cost standpoint to contend with that because these individuals were paroled with literally no services and very little oversight. Uh, And uh, what was only considered during their parole was uh, their most recent conviction. Uh, So we did, uh, and, and law enforcement will speak to this, they did have... Uh, individuals paroled who had violent um, criminal record, but only their most recent was uh, you know, basically allowed by this proposition, and so they were released early. The 57 uh, and others have allowed uh, the reduction in uh, criminal penalties for crimes that have created, um, I know they were unintended consequences, but what has developed out of reducing penalties for the use of Uh, everything from narcotics to petty theft. For instance, if somebody breaks into your car and they steal less than $1,000, it's no longer a felony. It's only 
a misdemeanor. It's basically a citation, and they're released. And so residents get very concerned about, and that's a result of that ballot measure. Residents are, well, they broke into my car. They broke my window. And but the police can do nothing other than if they find the person, give them a misdemeanor. They won't do jail time. They won't uh, be held accountable uh, for doing that damage. And we see rings developing. Uh, you know, criminals can be very clever where they go into grocery stores and they'll take just under a thousand dollars, uh, and then they'll hit three or four, eight, ten uh, grocery stores within a community, uh, taking the same amount. The measure, the ballot measure that was approved by voters, and voters didn't realize. Um, even if they're doing it in a serial capacity, if each instance is not in excess of $1,000, it's still a misdemeanor. It's not a felony. So there are some real structural changes that are needed to keep the community safe. So I do support uh, the changes that are needed. They are common sense changes to address the unintended consequences of those measures. Well, some of the research that has been presented by some of the criminology academics, They're, they bring to our attention that incarceration, it's, the times, the duration of incarceration is related to the recidivism. The longer a person's incarcerated, the, the higher the recidivism rate. More time served, higher uh, recidivism, returning to crime. So is that not also a factor in what we're doing with Prop 47? We're trying to, there, I mean, there's some, I guess there's, the toothpaste is coming out of the tube in different ways that there there are you're talking about some of the crime rings that are burglarizing cars or or homes or something uh, the cars we'll say the example that you used but um are we not seeing a net gain from reduced incarceration durations f to give people a chance to 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 make a new life earlier well i mean prison sentences uh reflect the, the the really the the level of the crime. I mean the more violent the crime the longer the prison sentence. I think most residents and most individuals believe if, if you create a violent act, if you put human life at risk that you have to do uh, and and the community can only be protected if those individuals are incarcerated as a result of those crimes. Uh, what the corrections that are being attempted to be made by law enforcement because they're the ones who are seeing the impacts. And, uh, you know, we had a criminal ring come through our community, five, six homes within a very short period of time were hit. We're just fortunate no one was home when it was happening because they were kicking down the door, going in, basically smashing and grabbing and getting out. Um, if you know, I know that from an academic standpoint, uh, there's a lot of discussion about you know, whether the, the sentence fits the crime. Uh, but we've got to make sure that people who commit these types of acts are held accountable. And we've got to make sure that the law uh, doesn't create loopholes that actually generate criminal rings as a result that we're seeing with these serial burglaries that are happening both in residential communities as well as within our businesses. And they mostly go after small businesses where people's entire livelihoods are in those businesses and their families' total uh, survival depends on the success of those businesses. Uh, public safety is one of the foremost responsibilities of local government, and I take it very seriously. Uh, I do believe that as a community, as a society, 
uh, we've got to work to make sure that we are getting services, particularly to at-risk kids. And I've worked with a lot of them. You mentioned some of those organizations. I work very closely to get services out to foster kids and at-risk youth. But once uh, somebody crosses that lexicon into taking uh, people's lives and property and putting that at risk, uh, then the public safety and law enforcement has an absolute responsibility to keep our communities and our society safe. So my last question, Chris Murray, to you is what political action committees, what PACs are supporting your campaign? Well, I'm not supported by, I wouldn't say it's um, PACs. Uh, it's, I have a broad uh, coalition of community support, labor support, business support. Uh, I'm not supported. Um, you know, both political parties in Orange County have sort of hand-selected without a lot of transparency their, their preferred candidate. Uh, I'm, really rep- I'm running and working and supported uh, to put the community over politics. I'm very proud to have the support of the Orange County Business Council, the California Women's Leadership Association, uh, the Chambers of Commerce, but also the oldest neighborhood associations in Orange County because of my work on behalf of neighborhoods and you know, just a broad coalition of mayors and council people, uh, labor leaders, uh, as well as uh, business and community leaders uh, countywide because uh, during my tenure, I have worked uh, very, very hard uh, for the interests of the neighborhoods and the residents I serve. Public service is, is my passion. It is where I've dedicated my life, uh, and it is my life's work. I have 25 years in the public sector working on behalf, in the public and private sector, uh, working on behalf of Orange County in the past eight as Mayor Pro Tem and Councilwoman in Anaheim. I will always put community over politics. I will take uh, brave stances because that's what leadership requires, even when they're not politically palatable, to do what's best for for residents and for neighborhoods. And I was very excited, uh, particularly of the UCI community, to see such a huge turnout in the last election. And I strongly believe that democracy thrives when everyone participates. So phenomenal uh, for our students who are getting involved at all universities in Orange County. And for those who are listening, I would humbly ask for your vote. You will always have access to me, and I will always be a resource to you. Uh, Special elections have low voter turnout, so every vote counts. And I hope everyone listening will get involved. Thank you. Chris Mary, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Claudia. My Have guest, a great day. Thank you. My guest was Chris Murray, former Anaheim City Council member, now a candidate in the March 12th special election for the open seat on the Orange County Board of Supervisors District. That was my wrap. Next week, we'll have an additional candidate for the special election, Catherine Daigle, then playwright James Fritz. I'm hoping... I saw a a rehearsal of this play yesterday, Parliamentary Square. We're going to hopefully have him on the show, too. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening.